little bit. If you have your Bibles here here at New Hope, we do a Bible decree every week. And if you do have your Bible, if you have your iPad, your iPhone, your eyeglasses, whatever you might have, just grab it and and hold it up nice and high. And uh, I want to share something with you before I I keep your hands up there. Check out this little Bible. Listen, watch this. This was given to me today. This was Kathy. She found it in the attic. You can actually read. It's all of the scripture in this Bible. Isn't that amazing? So I just wanted to tell you that when she gave it to me, I said, I'm going to hold my Bible nice and high. (laughs) Amen. Let's do it together. Here we go, church. This is my Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I will hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Amen. We are so grateful that you are here with us. Thank you for being a part of New Hope. Today's a special day as we've been journeying through shame. Last week we talked about destroying the shame. You know, Jesus, when he even said, I despise shame, he said, I hate shame. Shame is who we are. Many of us have stories and it's taken us through different journeys of life. But I want you to know that you can change your bitter life and turn it into a better life. Amen. Many of us want to continue to keep looking in the rearview mirror and looking back over life and think, you know what, we can't make it. Look what was. I'm here to tell you, church, you no longer have to look in that mirror and say, look what was, because we know what's ahead, and that is Jesus. So walk in his glory, walk in his holiness, practice his word, and live in it. So today, if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis 45, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. Genesis 45, verses 1 through 4. I love this story. I love the story of Joseph. I love, uh, I love where he uh, went through his own life of pain and of suffering, of abandonment. His brother sold him out. His dad thought he was dead. And yet God took all of his offenses and his pain and took it away. And uh, it's so exciting. I'll be reading out of two different texts today. This comes from the King James Version. And uh, I'll also be doing the New Living Translation and quoting some scripture for you today. We are in for a treat. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this past Thursday was 15 years of deliverance for Patty Nushes. Hallelujah. And uh, she has a great story of redemption of what God has done in her life. So I'll move forward and tell you. A little bit about uh, what we're doing here today. But I want, I want you to know that, that her journey is one where Christ came in and he delivered her. And she understood what uh, freedom was all about, what life was all about, what forgiveness was about. And, and so I'm thankful for uh, your influence in all of our lives. Patty is one who's the same. I don't know that I've ever seen this woman waver. Many of us some has some highs and some lows. But if you know Patty Nucius, you know she's an even Stephen. And uh, she's full of joy. You know, this morning I texted her and I said, Patty. And uh, as I I was telling her, I prayed over her just to kind of come up and share her testimony. I know it's always a little bit more scarier than when you're in front of a bunch of people. But I said, I want you to know that uh, you bring joy to all of our lives. So we always call her Patty Joy. We put that in quotes. Amen. And uh, so if you're with me, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 45. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. It says this. Then Joseph could not refrain himself, and it says there he could not restrain himself before all of them that stood by him. And he cried, because every man to go out from me, and there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. 
And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Verse 5, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me here. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years has the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be airing nor harvest, which means there was a famine There will not be any plowing. Nothing will be taking place. In verse 7, And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord over all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Let us pray. Father, we just love you and we thank you that today we can come before you, hear from your word. Lord, encourage us, strengthen us, and Lord, just give us victory through your word. Lord, we understand that offenses will come, that pain will come, that disappointment is here and it is among us. And Lord, but we know this, that you are there for us, fighting for us. And Lord, we understand that There is going to be pain, but we know that we can bow before you and you can take it away. So thank you, Father, for victory in our own life. And and Lord, we just pray that today, if there's somebody here that needs you, may they come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. May all of us understand your word. Father, help me to make it applicable for all of us. And as Patty shares just a short version of her story, may all of us be motivated to know that we no longer have to reside and sit in our pain and suffering. Because there is victory and forgiveness that comes from the throne room of God. Lord, we love you. Hide me behind the cross and in your shadows today. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Offenses and pain are bound to happen, especially in our relationships with people. These things will be faced by us even if we try to avoid them. Because we are living with people who are imperfect just like us. And our response to this reality can either break us or make us, which can also affect the lives of others. Jesus Christ even warned us that things like these will happen, but he showed us how to deal with it in a way that will give us freedom and joy. Are you willing to follow his way of facing your hurt, in a way of facing your pain, and in a way of facing your shame? Are you willing to let him direct your course of action? So this morning I'm going to take what would be a 45-minute message and I'm going to condense it. To about 12 minutes. On your mark, get set, go. You guys are like, yeah, right, preacher. Life is full of hurts and it always will be. As long as you live, people are going to do what? They're going to hurt you. They're going to offend you. And they're going to disappoint you. But you don't need to be the victim of their offenses. You can learn to rise above life's disappointments. We are either motivated by bitterness. We're either motivated by fear. And bitterness. Or love in dealing with our relationship, especially when we face conflicts. Love builds bridges, but fear and bitterness builds walls when pain is involved. Amen? We know what it does to us. What we are today is primarily how we have responded to circumstances in our past. We can't control 
change or stop people's choices and reactions toward us. But guess what, church? We can control our actions. One true expression of faith is the releasing of love and forgiveness. Luke chapter 17, verse 3 says this, So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. And if they repent, forgive them. Forgiveness is God's only way for us to be healed from all of our hurts, from all of our pain, and from all of our shame. Releasing forgiveness is possible only when I, one, honestly admit that I am hurting. That I honestly admit that I am hurting. James 5 verse 16 It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it is effective. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. Most people can't release forgiveness because they deny that the hurt exists. However, they don't realize that the first step of releasing or to releasing forgiveness is acknowledging that we have been hurt by the offense. So how do you know if you are bitter? No one wants to admit that they're bitter. Sometimes everyone else can tell but us. Let me ask you to be honest with yourself and to answer just a few basic questions on bitterness. One, does it irritate you when people don't agree with you? Do you think you are usually right and others are usually wrong? Do you find yourself giving more criticisms than compliments? Are you short with people? Do you ask people loaded questions just to irritate them? Is it difficult to talk to someone who has hurt you in the past without constantly bringing it up again? Do your conversations tend to turn into arguments? And do you feel disappointed, mistreated, or betrayed? Do you feel like God has let you down? Do these kind of questions make you Defensive. Number two, continually refresh myself with God's love and forgiveness. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. People who will not forgive are those who have either not received the forgiveness of God or have got forgotten God's forgiveness in their lives. Okay, Pastor, I will. I'll repeat that for you again. People who will not forgive are those who have either, either not received the forgiveness of God or have forgotten God's forgiveness in their lives. They have forgotten that they themselves are imperfect and capable of hurting God and others. Number three. Realize the extending forgiveness is more for my benefit than for the person being forgiven. Realize that extending forgiveness is more for my benefit than for the person being forgiven. Would you agree, Patty? Amen. You see, the problem with bitterness is that you just can't hide it, nor contain it. It spreads like a plague until it affects everybody around you. Some people are so bitter that they can't talk about their husband or wife, their parents or children, friends, relative, pastor, or even church without expressing bitterness about how much that those people 
have hurt them. If we are unable to deal our hurts in the past and our pains now, these will affect our relationship in the future. And if we are not at peace with our past, we will never be at peace with our future. The only way for us to be healed and be free from the pain of offenses done by people we love and respect is to do this. And write it in your book, write it in your Bible, write it on anywhere you want on your hand. Release forgiveness. Release forgiveness. We are the ones who will receive the benefit when we forgive. This is the only way that God has provided for us to be healed. This is the only way we can fully experience God's forgiveness and freedom. Matthew chapter 18 Verses 21 through 35. Some people are robbed by their sleep and their diets are being affected because of trying to push their pursuit of getting even. Some even make themselves miserable in trying to make a statement. The problem here is that sometimes people who have offended us are unaware that they have hurt us. However, if we release forgiveness, we enjoy the benefits of living a life released from unnecessary baggage in our hearts. Let it go. You hear me say it all the time. Let go and let God. When you get to the end of yourself, you get to the beginning of God. When you have true surrender, you start to find peace within your heart. When you say, you know what? I'm going to let go of everything. Watch this visual. I'm going to let go of everything that I've been holding on to. And when you let go, then God can fill up your hands and he can start to do something with you. That's releasing forgiveness. Next. Trust God's wisdom by releasing my personal will and embracing His plan. Trust God's wisdom by releasing my personal will and embracing His plan. We know that Romans 8 says, and we know all... I just... Okay, it's come. Romans eight twenty eight. We know all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. We know everything works together for good. If Listen, quit looking at everything as half empty and start looking at it as half full. Quit thinking that everything is impossible and start thinking that everything is possible. Quit thinking that all the pain and all the shame keeps you crippled and, and start believing that, you know what, I'm going to run in victory because I know who I am. I know whose I am. I am a child of the Most High God. And I'm going to run in victory today. Let go of it. Let God have control of your life. I love what it says in Romans 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow, isn't that amazing? Romans 12, 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to what is right in the eyes of everybody. Listen closely. Verse 18 says, If it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with... Look to the person next to you and say, it's all good. It's all good. One of the reasons why people won't forgive because they want the offender to suffer the way they want them to. The pursuit is futile. 
and can only bring more frustration because most of the times things don't happen the way we want them to happen. However, if we trust God's love, then he cares for us and his wisdom that he knows what is best for us by allowing him to be in control. Releasing forgiveness can be given by us. That is so liberating, isn't it? I mean, just think about it. It is so nice just to know that we can forgive and let it go. Next, face the pain and the consequences of the offense with God's presence and comfort. Face the pain and the consequences of the offense with God's presence and comfort. Sometimes offenses leave marks that can be literally seen as we live our lives. For example, a teenage girl being raped, she ends up being pregnant. Part of forgiving is choosing to move on despite the consequences. We see in the story here of Joseph. Joseph faced the consequences of being a slave when he was sold by his envious brothers. He faced them with God's comfort. He knew that God's plan for his life is greater than the pain that he encountered. He knew that the unwanted circumstances in his life would not dictate nor stop the purpose of God for his life. He knew that God was with him when he was in pain and that God can turn that pain into victory. So just release it. Just release it. You heard me reading Genesis 45, 4 through 7. That he let it go. That he took a moment alone and he let it go. In our selfishness, we muster up a host of excuses for not forgiving. Here's some of the excuses. And I thought about Joseph and I thought, you know, he could have said, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to all these things and I'm not going to forgive. But here are some of the excuses. They include revenge. I enjoy hating them. They include anger. Oh, I'm, I'm too upset to forgive. They include jealousy. I can't let him do this. Fear. I'll be hurt again. Why would I forgive them? Why would I even, even love them? Pride. I was wrong. I was right and he was wrong. Emotion. I don't feel like forgiving. Self-righteousness. Oh, he doesn't deserve forgiveness. Guilt. I can't even forgive myself. Suffering. I'm just too hurt to forgive. Worry. What if he doesn't understand? See, the ultimate excuse is this. I can't forgive. Which actually interpreted means I won't forgive. I want you to write this down. Forgiveness is not a matter of time, but a matter of choice. Forgiveness is not a matter of time. It's a matter of choice. It is not a matter of emotions, but a matter of the will. It is not a matter of emotions, but a matter of the will. Church, healing begins when we forgive to choose to forgive, not waiting for time to pass. It does not mean forgiving but forgiveness can result, let me back this up. It does not mean forgetting, but forgiveness can result to forgiving. Forgetting, it means you are agreeing to live the consequences of the offender's sin. It is the only way to take off the heaviness in our hearts as we go through the consequences of the offenses done to us. My last point, if the hurt is too deep 
I will ask help from those who can pull me out of my own bitterness. And if you have your Bible, just turn with me to Ecclesiastes before Patty comes up here and shares her heart for a few minutes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 13. Right after Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Chapter 4, verses 9 says this. Two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Verse 13, it is better to be a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. Such a youth could rise from poverty and succeed. He might even become king, though he has been in prison. But then everyone rushes to the side of yet another youth who replaces him. In this crowd stand around him, but then another generation grows up and rejects him too. So it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. But I like when it says back up here in verse 12, a person standing alone could be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Let me tell you the story before Patty comes up. I love the story of Joseph. I love how in the text it read that Joseph stood before his family members, before his brothers. And there was a part in there that just struck my emotional heartstrings and my cord. Because here's what he did. Here are brothers that hated it because Joseph found favor with his father and all the other brothers were jealous. They didn't like him because they wanted to have the rightful place with their father. And so the schemers and scammers and all the bitterness that, that creeped up in their heart, they said, I know what we'll do. We'll take him down here and we'll get rid of him. We'll throw him into a pit. So they deceived him. See, deception comes and deceiving comes when, when people are bitter and they can't forgive. But I like what it says there in Genesis chapter 45. It says that even his brothers didn't realize who he was, but he chose to release forgiveness and to let go of the pain and to let go of, uh, of the resentment and all the things that had creeped up in his heart. He said, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to let it go. All bitterness is gone. But watch this. This is what I thought was interesting. So I always try to play things out in my head and, you know, he's now a Lord and he's in Egypt and he's with Pharaoh and Pharaoh, you know, has found favor with him. He was raised there. They took him out of the pit and, you know, it's just amazing to me how God works everything out as he's a descendant of Abraham. And so we know that favor is going to fall because we know exactly how God works all things out. When he makes a promise, he keeps his promise. That's our God. And so Joseph is standing there and he said, hey, I have a question for you. Is my father living? And in the text, 
And this is where I found just powerful. I could have made the whole message today just that in itself. But I've invited Patty to come and share the last part of the, the message today on letting go of bitterness, of pain, of resentment. Let me put it to you like this, of hate. She found a day of freedom and a day of victory because she let go and let God work all things out in her life. So he, here's Joseph. And he said, excuse me, I'll be right back. And he left them and he went into a room. And the scripture says that he wept over his family. That he wept and he cried over his family because he loved them that much. When he could have said, when those young men, at this point were probably older, get before me. I'm going to make them pay for everything that they've done. And yet he said, hold on just a minute. And he comes back and it says that he cleaned himself up. He wiped off his face after crying and weeping. Isn't that the same kind of pain that our Heavenly Father has for us when He sees us sin? But He said to the prodigal son, Oh, son, come home. You're always welcomed here. I love you. No matter what you've done, you're always welcome back. That is truly the heightened... That exhibits the love of God in any other way I've never seen before, ever. He said, I'll wipe the tears from your eyes. And He embraced His son for the same way Joseph embraced his brothers and then after that found favor and they left and they got the land and God blessed them church what have we learned from this we've learned that sometimes when the hurt is too great for us to handle we must not be ashamed to ask for help However, the Bible is telling us to ask help for those who love God. Those people whose lives are walking right before God and are capable of helping us. That's why it is very important to be part of a discipleship group. To come together. 9.30 a.m. discipleship group. Men, you've got to come. I'm inviting you. Ladies, I'm inviting you to go to the ladies class. We must open up our minds and our lives to godly people because God can use them to help us rise above our bitterness and hurts. You know what? Joseph could not do things by himself. He needed permission by Pharaoh to move forward. In the text in Ecclesiastes, it said, a two-stranded cord is better intertwined than apart. I like when it says they lean up against each other. That's why I like that translation. I thought it was really cool visual. They're leaning on one another. Patty, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for your words of encouragement and love for this ministry. I love you. I loved your husband. Yes, they've been my best friends for years. But I will tell you this. I grew to love them. I only met him in this church. And I want you to know that, Joanne, every week you get to sit next to Chris. Kim, you get to sit next to Julie. Cash, you get to sit next to Steve. And Cash, you get to sit next to Megan. And we all get to sit next to each other, encourage one another, and lift each other up. Because that's what... Coming together is all about. We need that edification. We need that encouragement. So I'm just going to turn this right over to Patty. And she's going to share the next few minutes of the journey that God took her on. So let's give Patty a warm new hope. Welcome. 
Love you. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> what a pleasure and honor and privilege it is to talk to you today about my story that started at the age of four. My father said we were going to go to the Akron Zoo, and we didn't go to the zoo. Instead, we went to the woods, and he did stuff to me that no man, much less a father, should do to a little girl. And then he said, what animals did you see at the zoo? And I had to say, in case anybody asked, cow, pig, horse, monkey, elephant, and dog, and in that order. And when I was 21, I went to all the zoos in Ohio because I didn't know that most of those animals were farm animals. At age five, my sister, he was hurting my sister. I thought he was killing her. So I interrupted them, and that wasn't a good thing because I ended up running down into the basement where he finished with me. And my brother Joe came and spent the night with me. We were tied up. To, I was tied up to this pole. And so my brother Joe ended up being my childhood hero, and we came up with all kinds of defense mechanisms to fight off my dad. At age six, my father took me to the Lakeside Motel on Manchester Road, their little sugar shack places, with his brother and their uncle so that I could learn the old world methods, ways of the old world, is the purpose of a girl is to serve and please men on command through pain and punishment and acting like those different animals, which include all the props, collars, chains, ropes, cages that go with those animals. So while they were gambling and drinking, I would wait for them to decide what they were going to do with me that day. It was either on a Friday night I would be pulled out of bed, a Saturday night or a Saturday afternoon. My dad was a long-distance truck driver, so I had kind of a normal week, if you could say, until Friday night. At age 8, 11, and 14 were the sealing ceremonies of this old world way in which um, there was chanting in like a foreign language I didn't really know. And I had to pledge allegiance to this way of life. And it was accompanied with drugs and alcohol, which I had to pay for. And so at age eight, I had my first half of a Benny, which is speed, and gin, which tasted like pine. So that was at age, and at age 11, my grandmother died. Now, my grandmother would try to get me to spend the night at her house. And then we would get up really early, and we wouldn't go down Hollinger to Portage Path to West Market into the Highland Square Library. We would zigzag through because they were looking for me. And we would spend all day in the library because she said they'll never find us in the library. So in the library, she would teach me math, and, and we would read books. And she would say, always study, always study. So that was one of my main defense mechanisms that I learned from my grandmother. So while I was waiting, I would do math equations in my head. And I would read books in my head as I waited for that to happen. 
So when my grandmother died at age 11, I got really sick. I mean, I got the mumps, I got the measles, I had bronchitis, I had everything. And I almost didn't get up. It was hard. My brother Joe helped me to get up. And finally, one day I decided, well, I'm just going to fake it till I make it. I'm just going to pretend like everything is good. Because ain't nobody stopping this. Teachers aren't seeing it. Priests, nuns, relatives, police. Nobody's stopping it. It could have been stopped. So I decided I'll just fake it till I make it. 12 and 13, I really don't have a lot of recall of. But at 14, it was time for the final sealing ceremony when my dad came to get me on a Saturday afternoon. And I had short shorts on, a halter top, and platform shoes. And when he came to got me, I was smoking a joint and drinking a Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. What 14-year-old does that in their house? So he had cocaine. And so we're driving down 224, getting ready to get off Manchester Road. And I snorted this coke, and then I threw the rest out the window, which really made him so mad. So I was higher in a kite. And so for the first time in 10 years, I actually said, this is enough. You are stupid, S-T-O-O-P-I-D. You don't even know how to spell it. And, man, I lit into him because I was so angry. And I said, I just want to be normal. I just want to have a boyfriend. Why are we doing this? So when we got to the motel, I refused. And my two uncles started beating me up because they had to do this final one. And I think it was because I had said that stuff to my dad. For the first time, I actually, I saw his horror. Like, he saw his horror. And he actually stepped in and said, okay, that's it. That's it. We're done. And I knew it was the last time. I knew it. And then the next 10, 11 years, I spent partying being promiscuous, all while getting straight A's in school, and you would have never known that because I was really good at keeping things secret. You would have never known. My high school girlfriends, they would go, you never did all that. Oh, yes, I did. Then at 25, I went to this church in Stowe, and I sat there pretzeled up for three months, and the pastor would say, now you just come back next week. I'd go, okay. And one day he said, you sure are a hard nut to crack. When are you ever going to let Jesus in us? So proud that I hadn't. And the next week, there was this pressure of the Holy Spirit to surrender all. And I said to this pressure, okay, I'll give in. But if you don't work out, I'm kicking you out. And this voice said, okay. And it was a familiar voice. And I've realized as the years have passed on, that I had heard that voice all along. This Holy Spirit saying, breathe. Because I couldn't breathe. Get up. It's okay. Math. Do math. Things like that. Always been there anyway, which is so exciting. At 27, I had my son Nathan. And I did not marry his father because he turned into Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde. Imagine that. And at 30, I married George. We worked together. And we had an instant blended family. There's Billy, my stepson, and Jimmy and Nathan. And he adopted Nathan the very next year. At age 33, my brother Joe said, I have AIDS and I have two years to live. He lives in California. And when that happened, when he said that, my life started to unravel like a sweater. It just started to fall apart. 
And here I was, a corporate trainer, talking five days a week, all over the United States. And I loved, loved, loved that job, that career. And I just found I was not able to do it very well anymore. He died when I was 35. And at age 37, when I was on my way to Kent State Stark to do a class, I was driving in my mom minivan. My whole left side went completely numb. I dropped my cigarette so that I could grab the steering wheel with my right hand. I went to Kent Stark, and my friend who I was supposed to teach with took me. I had all these tests done. I had every neurological test done, brain scans, blood work, heart work. And at the end of all of it, my doctor stood there with a notebook, and he goes, um, there's nothing physically wrong with you. We don't know why you're dragging your foot along and why you're numb. So it's psychological, and we think you should go to therapy. I said, okay, I'll go. And at Nathan's school, they had a therapist, Molly, and that's who I started to see. And Molly and I put together a timeline. And then I had a second therapist, Rick, who would take it out of my, like release it out of my body. It's called craniosacral. And then I had a third therapist who has three. And she did it by acts, by types of violence. And she tried to hunt down this old world order, which is from Europe and some nomadic group. And so when I first started going to therapy with Molly, I said, how long is this going to take? She goes, however long it takes. That's a brilliant answer. That doesn't help me at all. What does that mean? And she said, it might cost you everything. Well, it sure did cost my career. I couldn't do corporate training anymore. I just got a series of low-paying, stupid jobs. I'm the queen of jobs here because I couldn't handle it. I would have to quit a job because therapy got so hard because we pieced together this timeline and we had to process all of this, which meant to look at it again through adult eyes and look at it, feel sorry for myself, get angry, um, try to find something good from the bad, something pretty from the ugly, something beautiful from the horror, and some truth from the lie. And then I would let it go for eight years, solid. And I was tired. My career was going to therapy three times a week or more, and I could go to see any of them at any time I needed to. And when I tell you that I did not want to just go soaring off that Y bridge or slice my wrists or crash into the concrete walls on the highway or take a bunch of pills, I would be lying to you because you lived through it once and now you have to relive it to let it go. It just seemed, it really made me angry that I had to go through it again and again. And it was so hard that I took a break and got my college degree. I took a break from therapy and went to school just because I needed that break. In December of 1990, 2004, I was exhausted. And I was really drawn into this whole suicide thing again. And it was like Jesus said, nope. I died for you. You do not need to go through that door. Don't ever go to that door 
again. And after that, it was right after Christmas, and I had to be really careful. I could only go to work home, work home, work home, work home. I was very limited in what I was allowed to do at that time with my therapist. That I said, you know what? I am so done with this. I am so done. I am so done with all of this therapy. I am sweeping the rest. Who cares? It was all awful. I need to think about something else in my life. This has consumed me for so long. Isn't life about more than just this? And I knew I wasn't done, but I was done looking at it. I was done asking why, why, why. I felt as though asking why was just going to send me right over the edge. Instead, I started to ask who. Who is this about? It's about Jesus. Where is he taking me? And I am telling you, I scoured my Bible like you wouldn't believe. I had so many Bible verses that when you're into any kind of trouble, any kind of sin, any kind of darkness, that's where you go. You get into that word and you highlight it and you rip that book up and you take those Bible verses with you wherever because there were times like I felt I was only holding on to the Lord by a string and he would take me through it. It was grueling, grueling work and I was exhausted and I knew that the last step was forgiveness. There are over 80 Bible verses about forgiving, forgiveness. And in every single one of them, what is so cool, and I was really kind of like, that's just not fair. It's a two-way street. Every verse says to forgive someone like I forgave you. And the one that really got to me where I went, ouch, is Matthew 5.17. It says, if you refuse to forgive somebody... I won't forgive you either. I was like, ouch. Okay. So on February 20th, 2005, I went to Holy Cross Cemetery with George. It had just snowed. It was snowing out. It was really pretty and sunny like today. And I couldn't find my dad's grave, which was really odd. So I said, okay, uncles, I forgive you. I don't, I don't even care about you. But, Dad, this is about you. And I cussed him out. Oh, I cussed him out. I told him what a bad dad he was and all the opportunities I had missed out on. And I was sick of dealing with him. And I accused him like you do in a court. I accuse you of 10 years of this. And you are guilty of 10 years of mental, physical and abuse and emotional abuse and neglect and lies. And you're guilty as charged. But you did four things right. (coughs) And I'm pulling out of thin air to come up with four. Because I was four when it started. First, you gave me life. Second, at 14, you did act like a dad and intervened. Probably because you didn't know what to do with a dead 14-year-old body. But hey. And it ended. And I knew it ended. And I don't think you did my sister Barbara because she's kind of normal. So for those four reasons, I forgive you. I kissed my husband goodbye, went to work. I thought nothing of it. I was just trusting and obeying. That's what the Lord said to do. I knew it was the final step. I knew it was. I knew I had to do it. I went to work. I got there 20 minutes early. I'm like, what's this, 20 minutes early? 
I was always late. I was always fighting time. It was like my world was real surreal. And like I couldn't get anywhere on time. <coughs> so I finished my cigarette. I'm standing out there. I had 10 minutes ago into work. I worked at the post office doing data entry. It was a lame job. So I'm standing outside, and all of a sudden, I was not expecting anything for this forgiveness. I was not expecting anything to happen. I just did it to trust and obey. But this invisible hand of God came and pulled this darkness out of me. I call it an octopus. I always said I felt like I had something in me, which they probably put in me in these chants. And these, I felt that I had stuff put inside of me and pulled it out. And I went, oh, my goodness, look how white that snow is. It's brilliant. It's glittering. It's sparkling. It's glistening. Oh, my goodness, it's so white. I've never seen something so white in my life. I was so freaked out. And then there's two yellow cars in the world. One came down Exeter Road, went around in the parking lot, and went, look at how yellow. Oh, my gosh, it was so brilliant. And I realized... Oh, evil is dark. Evil's dark. Sin is dark. When they say you're blind, I felt like I'd been wearing sunglasses my whole life. And I feel like since that day, I'm starting to see things as others see them, as they are really to be seen. I hear words, their true meaning, not these twisted definitions of words. And I felt so free. And then the next day I woke up and I'm like, something is so different. Woke up the next day, the next day, next day. I'm trying to define it. What is it? Three months later, I figured it out. I wasn't waking up afraid. I wasn't waking up going, And then I'm like, but what is this other thing that I I have now? I couldn't define it. I I didn't know what it was. But it was this new energy, and I call it joy. Joy, joy, joy. And now I have this joy. And 15... (laughs) I can't contain it. I cannot contain it. And in therapy, she said, what do you want? And I had said, I want to know the real meaning of the words from Galatians 5.22. Because I don't know what love is. I know what hate is. I grew up in hate. I don't know what joy is. I know depression. I know negativity. I don't know what peace is. I only know chaos. When are the dishes flying? When are, when's the belt coming out? When is the fight starting? I feel plugged in. I feel like Mexican jumping beans. I don't know what peace is. I don't know what patience is. Everybody gets things for what they want right now. They don't wait. Now, if you have to lie, steal, and cheat to get it, that's okay. What's kindness? Mean eyes, steely eyes, mean tones. That's all I knew. What's goodness? There was no justice. Nobody did the right thing. What's faithfulness to this old world order? Nobody was faithful to Jesus. What's gentleness? I have paid, my body has paid the price. I've had a lot of surgeries. What is self-control? There is no self-control in language and action and addictions. There wasn't any, and I wanted to know the real meaning of those words. 
and since that day. I know the meaning of those words, especially joy. And I can't contain it. The further away I am from that, the more joy I have. So when you see me jumping up and down and doing twirlies, that's why. That's why. And I am free. And so forgiveness equals freedom equals joy. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Patty. Well, as everybody is standing to their feet, we're going to go ahead and have the invitation. I want all of you to know that sometimes forgiveness takes some time, and you just heard it. But Patty Joy experienced, and this is no exaggeration, we added it up, 75,000 hours of counseling. Isn't that the number? 75,000. And as you heard her say, and as the praise team comes, healing only comes when you forgive. And that's the difficult part about our life is letting go and letting God. When you get to the end of yourself is what Patty did. You get to the beginning of God. A lady who has experienced it, she knows the pain, the suffering of what childhood abuse is about. But she is an advocate that there is freedom. And I will say, as I stand up here as her pastor, that she exhibits the fruits of the Spirit. And you know exactly what it is. And if you're suffering with pain and you're suffering with where you've been holding on to some of the, the hurts of your past, church, you're, you're here. You're in the building. God is here. He loves you. Let it go. There is freedom in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just love you and we thank you that, Lord, we can come before you and just worship you. And, Lord, bow our knee before you and cry out to you and just weep before you. Lord, we realize that today we've come to this place, this place of, of healing. Where we feel redeemed and, and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we just thank you that we are here today to hear what you've done in the life of Joseph and in the life of Patty. Lord, many of us have a story. Lord, so we know that in that story and in that timeline, that God, you get all the credit. So God, heal us today. May today be someone else's freedom story, their story of victory, their story of forgiving others from all the pain and hurt of what someone has done. So God, we cry out to you. We call out to you and we worship you. May all of us just fall at your feet, at the foot of the cross. Help us to draw close to you as you draw nigh to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us sing.